Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and I just want to let you know about my gut healing bundle for those with thyroid and autoimmune thyroid conditions. This includes SMT Probio, which is a probiotic with 18 well-researched strains, Enzymes Plus, which not only includes digestive enzymes, but betaine, HCL, and ox bile, and SMT GI Restore, which is a stevia-free formulation that has multiple nutrients and herbs that have been proven to help support the healing of the gut. To learn more about this, you can visit guthealingbundle.com. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And in this Q&A episode, I am going to answer the question, are thyroid conditions common in children? And I'm going to go beyond this question and talk about my experience with children and adolescents. And while this episode will, of course, benefit parents who have children with Graves' disease, Hashimoto's, or a different thyroid condition... If you're an adult with a thyroid condition and if you have children, you might still want to listen to this as there's always a chance of your child developing the same condition or even a different condition. Like if you have Graves' disease, there is a chance that they might develop Graves, but there's also a chance that they might develop Hashimoto's. And of course, there's a chance they won't develop a thyroid or autoimmune thyroid condition, but there is that increased risk since genetics do play a role, especially with thyroid autoimmunity. So what I'm going to do is dive a little bit into the research and then, again, talk about my experience with children and teenagers who have hyperthyroidism, including Graves' disease, as well as Hashimoto's. So this first journal article is from 2014, titled Graves' Disease in Children, and it just mentions that Graves' disease is the most frequent cause of hyperthyroidism in children. It may occur at any time during childhood, but it frequently increases with age, peaking during adolescence. And then antithyroid drugs such as methimazole are usually recommended as initial treatment and are generally well tolerated. But it does say that the overall frequency of relapse is higher in children than in adults, with remission achieved in only 30% of children after a first course of treatment for about two years, again, with the antithyroid medication. And it says that more prolonged medical treatment may increase the remission rate of up to 50%. Then alternative treatments, mostly radioactive iodine, are considered in cases of relapse after an appropriate course of antithyroid drugs, lack of compliance, or toxicity with the medication. Let's move on to a different study here. Again, we're going to focus first on hyperthyroidism and then look at some of the Hashimoto studies. So this is from 2015 and title is hyperthyroidism in children. It says that hyperthyroidism is a rare but potentially serious disorder in childhood that if uncontrolled can lead to a wide range of complications, including effects on growth and development. So of course it is important to manage the symptoms in really anyone, but especially children. So many, this will be common sense, but there are some parents who won't want to give their children medication, the antithyroid medication, which I understand, and there are natural options. And I've worked with patients with hyperthyroidism who took bugleweed, but if for any reason the herbs aren't working, then definitely you'd want to consider the antithyroid medication. And uh, here it says that Graves' disease is the most common cause of hyperthyroidism in children, accounts for greater than 95% of cases. And it just talks about some of the causes here. On the basis of some research evidence and consensus treatment options for Graves' disease in children include antithyroid medication, radioactive iodine, and surgery. And then antithyroid medication is commonly used as a first-line therapy in children. However, because of the low rates of spontaneous remission, most children eventually require permanent treatment with radioactive iodine or surgery. 
and mentions that current guidelines recommend the use of methimazole and not PTU because of the unacceptable risk of hepatotoxicity, which is uh, toxic effects that the medication that like PTU specifically can have on the liver. Again, a lot of people tolerate PTU fine, but in the case of children, it's saying not to give PTU. Then it also mentions that neonatal hyperthyroidism can occur in infants born to mothers with a history of Graves' due to transplantental passage of the TSH receptor-stimulating antibodies. So that's pretty interesting. Another article, this is from 2020, February 2020, gives an update on pediatric hyperthyroidism. And then it mentions here that new studies confirm the effectiveness and safety of long-term medical therapy up to 10 years, including from the first randomized trial of short-term versus long-term therapy. And I mentioned this in another Q&A episode about long-term methimazole. Again, not that I'm a fan of methimazole or, or any other type of antithyroid medication, but for endocrinologists who say that the patient can only be on methimazole for two years and then they need to receive radioactive iodine thyroid surgery. The more recent research doesn't support this, or should I say it supports longer term use of methimazole. It doesn't say, I mean, obviously it's up to the endocrinologist and the patient if after two years the patient agrees, but to get radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery and that's up to the patient. But if the endocrinologist says that it's unsafe to take antithyroid medication more than two years, again, the research doesn't support this. And here it's confirming this. Yeah, it just says more research is needed on the epidemiology of Graves' disease, long-term medical therapy. Well past two years should be considered an option in compliant patients to decrease the number who need definitive therapy. Of course, the goal is to try to address the cost of the problem. And I mentioned that in the other episode where I talk about long-term methimazole. So the goal here is to do things to find and remove triggers, heal the gut, just address the underlying cause and or causes because many times there's multiple causes. And then this is an August 2022 article and another update on pediatric hyperthyroidism and pretty much saying the same thing. Here it says emerging data suggests methimazole treatment up to eight years is effective and safe in improving the rate of remission. Radioactive iodine and thyroidectomy offer definitive treatment and induce permanent hypothyroidism. And then this next journal article from October 2021, hyperthyroidism in adults. By the way, I'll make sure to include the links to these journal articles in the show notes, which of course you could access by visiting savemythyroid.com just in case if anybody wants to read these. Yeah, it says also the leading cause of hyperthyroidism in adolescence is Graves' disease. However, one should also consider other potential causes such as toxic nodule goiter and other rare disorders leading to excessive production and release of thyroid hormone. And here it says the vast majority of patients with thyroid disorders require lifelong treatment, which again, keep in mind, they're not doing anything to address the cause of the problem. And then there's another article. So this is a pretty long one. So I won't get into detail. Hyperthyroidism in adolescence from November 2021. And so again, I'll just include the link to this. And let's get to some Hashimoto's journal articles. This first one is from May 2008, entitled Hashimoto's Thyroiditis in Children and Adolescents. Here it says spontaneous remission may occur in up to 50% of patients, but the development of hypothyroidism is possible. And it's a smaller study um, looking at 43 children with Hashimoto's. Doesn't really give a whole lot of good information here. Just says Hashimoto's is five times more common in females and 
Hypothyroid patients may appear in higher percentage of children, adolescents, than previously reported. So let's go ahead and look at another study. This is from September 2014, The Natural Course of Hashimoto's Thyroiditis in Children and Adolescents, and starts off by saying that Hashimoto's thyroiditis is the most common cause of thyroid disease in children and adolescents, but little is known about the long-term follow-up of Hashimoto's. And the aim of the study was to analyze the clinical and laboratory characteristics and to observe the natural course of Hashimoto's in children and adolescents. Pretty much jump into the conclusions, and this, this involved 153 patients with Hashimoto's diagnosed before 18 years of age. Most children with Hashimoto's were euthyroid, which means they had normal thyroid levels, and they remain euthyroid during follow-up. However, thyroid function should still be monitored periodically for early detection and treatment of overt hypothyroidism. And our data also show that levothyroxine treatment may have beneficial effects on the thyroid antibody titers, which is interesting. But you got to keep in mind that, especially with Hashimoto's, it could take 5, 10, 15 years for overt hypothyroidism to develop. So a lot of times, people with Hashimoto's, whether it's children, adolescents, or adults, they'll have those antibodies, but their thyroid hormone levels will be normal for years because, let's say, if they followed up, I don't know how long, that were followed up, six to 181 months. That's quite a long time. So that is 181. Am I reading that right? I guess 181 months. I think so. Yeah, that's like what? 15 years. So six months, obviously not a whole lot of time passing by. So it looks like it varied the follow-up time. But the point is for those, if even like five years, they followed up and the patients were still euthyroid, that might not be enough time because some people, it just takes a good amount of time for sufficient damage to take place to the thyroid gland. Well, they'll show up as being hypothyroid. And another article, Thyroid Disorders in Children and Adolescents, a review from October 2016. We'll just jump to the conclusions and relevance. Early identification and treatment of thyroid disease in children and adolescents is critical to optimize growth and development. And the primary care physician plays a critical role in identifying patients at risk. September 2020 journal article, Children with Hashimoto's Thyroiditis Have Increased Intestinal Permeability, which is results of a pilot study. And so this is interesting. So increase in intestinal permeability is a leaky gut. And it mentions increased intestinal permeability precedes several autoimmune disorders. And although Hashimoto's is the most common autoimmune disorder, the role of intestinal permeability in its pathogenesis has received little attention and just goes a little bit into the mechanism. Talk about zonulin playing a critical role in increased intestinal permeability by modulating intracellular tight junctions. So I won't get into all that here. Let's see. So in conclusion, higher zonulin levels on children and adolescents with Hashimoto's thyroiditis suggest an increase in intestinal permeability in these patients. Additionally, the association between zonulin levels and levothyroxine dose may imply a relationship between serum zonulin and disease severity. So, I mean, summary that people with Hashimoto's have an increased likelihood of having a leaky gut, but that's really the truth with all autoimmune conditions, whether someone has Graves or Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis. So it's not really a shocker here. And then this final study is about vitamin D, hypovitaminosis D in children with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And just the background, vitamin D deficiency or insufficiency may play a role in the pathogenesis of certain autoimmune diseases. 
pretty much the conclusions vitamin D deficiency is more common in children with Hashimoto's and healthy controls. Doesn't mean that that was the cause of the Hashimoto's condition, might just be a contributing factor. But yeah, I find with both Graves and Hashimoto's patients that vitamin D deficiency quite common. And even if someone has a non-autoimmune thyroid condition, with all my patients, I recommend to test for vitamin D. So now that I've presented the research, I'll just take a few minutes to just give my experience with patients with Graves and Hashimoto's. I see more pediatric patients with hyperthyroidism, most of them with Graves. And probably a big reason is because I see more patients with hyperthyroidism than I do Hashimoto's. And the reason for that is just because I'm one of the few practitioners that focus on hyperthyroidism, at least natural healthcare practitioners, where there's a lot more options when it comes to Hashimoto's. But, you know, I've seen pediatric patients, both children, adolescents with Hashimoto's. Definitely not the norm, meaning that most of my patients are adults. And I don't have a lot of experiencing really young patients. I'd say eight years and above is my level of experience when they're younger, especially like five and below. I can't say I'm really comfortable when it comes to like dosing herbs and other supplements. But regardless of the age of the patients, the goal remains the same to try to find, remove triggers to heal the gut, optimize the immune system, correct other underlying imbalances. Nobody wants to see a child's, you know, nobody wants to see anyone with hyperthyroidism or Hashimoto's, but especially children, it's really challenging. And the diet part is challenging, I think, for anyone, but arguably even more so for children. So that's one of the big factors. Now, I guess the thing that sometimes makes it easier is that the parent can control what the child does and doesn't eat to some extent. It depends if it's a teenager, especially, you know, like 16, 17, more challenging. And especially if the teenager can drive, then it makes it challenging. But yeah, like I said, I, I don't see a lot of children and adolescents. I don't know of any natural healthcare practitioner that focuses on like hyperthyroidism in pediatric patients with hyperthyroidism, Hashimoto's. But the approach I take is very similar to adults, just having them clean up their diet, try and do things from a stress management perspective. And many times the parent is following a similar protocol or following the same protocol in order to encourage the child to eat well and block out time for stress management. Oftentimes one or both parents need to also take that approach. If the child is the only one eating a healthy diet, the only one doing things from a stress management perspective, it will be difficult to convince them to do so. It might be difficult to convince them to do so even if the whole family is changing their diet and doing things from a stress management perspective, but even more difficult if nobody in the household is doing that except them. And then even more challenging if they have siblings who aren't following the protocol. So really it's a good idea. In my opinion, I see the most success when the entire household changes. Like let's say they have one or more siblings. Sometimes I'll see where maybe the mother and the child is following a strict diet and stress management, but the spouse and the other children are not doing anything to improve their health. 
it does make it more difficult. And I know it might seem like it's unfair. Well, why should the other children suffer and follow a gluten-free diet and do things from a stress management perspective? But I think you're looking at the wrong way if you take that approach. I think you need to look at it as you're just trying to optimize the health of your family and increase the chances of the child with the thyroid condition or autoimmune thyroid condition getting into remission and keeping into remission, just restoring their health. And it's, again, more difficult if there are other family members who are eating anything they want. I mean, because again, it also depends on the age of the child too. But if the child has other siblings, you know, you don't know for sure if the other sibling is sneaking in some food that the other child shouldn't be eating. And so again, just really best to take a whole family approach to this. Maybe I'll have another episode in the future, like a main episode. This episode was long enough for a Q&A episode, but something I haven't covered yet. So I really just wanted to talk about it. It's never easy, whether it's a child, teenager, or adult dealing with hyperthyroidism or Hashimoto's. But in my opinion, it could be more difficult for a child. I guess the only good news or one piece of good news is that with a child's teenager, they don't have like an adult, let's say in their 40s or 50s or 60s, you know, more time has passed. So they probably have an increased toxic load and, you know, might be more challenging, taking more time to get them into remission. But I can't say that's always the case. We're all exposed to environmental toxins and everybody's different. So just because someone's a child doesn't mean they're going to recover quicker than adults. I do see that at times, but there are times where also it takes a good amount of time. I mean, usually either way, it's going to take a good amount of time. A child or teenager usually is not going to get into remission in like one or two months. But again, in some cases might get into remission quicker than an adult. So that is my response to the question, are thyroid conditions common in children? Again, a long response. They're not common in children is real. The answer to the question Again, I expanded, went over some research, and Graves is the most common type of hyperthyroidism present, and Hashimoto's the most common type of hypothyroidism, and there is hope. I will end by saying it's not common, but if you have a child or teenager that has hyperthyroidism or Hashimoto's, there is hope to restore their health. Again, just like an adult, not easy, but definitely can be done. As usual, I hope you found this Q&A episode to be valuable, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.